You're listening to WNHU2, the online stream from the University of New Haven. This program contains explicit material and may not be suitable for some listeners. Welcome back to Rule of Three! Yay! Woo! Woo, 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 woo. We do that every week. We're always like, woo! woo. Like, we don't expect this to happen. It's always exciting. <laughs> you never know. We're doing this again? We're still here? They haven't kicked again? us out yet? Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised by that. Mm, do you think anyone actually listens to it from the station, though? Hey. Get Bruce No, I mean, it. like... I don't know. Here. That's a good question. I hope so. That nice. would be nice, yeah. You know, support your content creators. Ooh, Ooh we're content creators. Wow. Ooh, influencers. We, yeah, I was going to say, when are we going to get upgraded to influencers? <laughs> I'm going to put that on my resume, content creator. <laughs> I mean, technically I'm sure that's going to help me so much in my scientific career. Well, <laughs> you create forensic content. So, forensic. so I kill people? No. Forensics. <laughs> I create forensic content. That's just a fancy way for saying I'm a serial killer. <laughs> Oh, boy. Well, I'm your host and wilderness guide, Sean Barber. I'm joined by our resident expert in death and Maine native, Nicole Jewett. That would mm-hmm. be me. The man who actually does know something this time For around. For once. Uh-huh. And a resident of the city of brotherly love, Ethan Black. Yes, sir. This week's episode is all about stories from our local area. So for me, that's upstate <laughs> New York. Nicole's from central Maine. Ethan has a case from Philadelphia. Yeah. 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 <laughs> What part of, like, where are you in Maine? So I'm actually not from central Maine. I'm in the mid-coast region. Mid-coast. So if you see, like, the southern coast that kind of, like, goes northeasterly, I'm, like, mm-hmm. right in the middle of that. You sound like an old-time shipping captain. The well, southern coast from that Maine. goes northeasterly. Down east, as they call it up there. The Even though east. it's completely north. I don't I know why they say, call it down imagine east. Imagine being from Maine and being described as down yeah, that's yeah. True. It's really kind of weird. Crazy. I am in very southern Maine, though. So yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just like you all. Like Maine is so far up there. It's, it's crazy to think that yeah. anybody lives past that. I know people that go to school in state that have a longer commute than I do, all the way to Connecticut. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's up that at Fort Kent, gross. basically Canada. Fort Kent. <laughs> Kent. That's what it's called. That's you, the northernmost town you in have Maine. Something to say about Kent? Well, we just just in Kent's history. Kent's my dad's name. Mentioned. Just Kent State, not like Kent exactly, but okay. The whole Kent State massacre. All right, let's get this rig rolling, boys. Yeah, none of us know what each other's stories are on, and which felt, is incredibly weird. It felt like, really weird writing this on our own, because Nicole and I usually sit there and write it together. And I usually write nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ethan actually had to pull some weight this time, ladies and gents. <laughs> I'm gonna make a disclaimer. They tell me not to know anything. I never fight that. <laughs> It's uh, part of your charm. You also may have noticed that yeah. we haven't been able to post any more episodes recently. We still are having a couple issues with stuff at the station here. Which, unfortunately, but, are completely out of our control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should be able to recover the recording soon, hopefully this week. I'm really hoping this week. But if you haven't heard any of the other previous episodes, one through four, they're all on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. So go ahead and do that. And if you are listening to this on Spotify, we did it. So yeah. all the episodes should be there by now. So yeah. just disregard that whole and last bit. if you already bit. listened to them, do it again. Just a repeat. Keep, why not? Then go for a three-peat. Yeah. Ooh, three-peat. Rule of three-peat? A rule of three-peat. <laughs> it's like a marathon. Hell yes. In the meantime, though, you can find us on Instagram at rule of three, 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 three for sneak peeks and interesting links relating to all of our stories. So we'll keep you up to date while we're waiting to put those new episodes out. Uh, that being said, I think we're all good. Let's do this. Let's do this. We've got three dumbass hosts. we got three crazy stories and no fucking clue what we're doing. You're mm-hmm. listening to Rule of Three. Ethan, do you want to harmonica us? I, I guess I will. I wasn't yeah. expecting to. Play, play some harmonica. Ethan, we do this every week. We didn't do it last week. I wasn't week. expecting. I didn't prepare anything. We didn't do like... it last week. Did we do it last All week? Right. Yes.
now. <laughs> the ending was very nice, though. Yep. I felt like a sailor. A little bit. On the high seas, and then he played some wrong notes. Throwback to yeah. episode four, speaking of sailors on the high yeah. seas. I don't know why you say wrong notes. I just played some poorly made notes. That was some jazz Technically, right there. they can't be wrong if he doesn't know what he's shooting for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not wrong notes. It's just harmonica jazz. Mm. All right. Freestyle. Nicole has our first story, so let's take that away. All right. So we're going to start out this episode in my homeland. So, for decades, an unknown person, creature, or thing has been terrorizing the cabins of a lakeside community deep in the forests of central Maine. Not Bigfoot? An area, no, not Bigfoot. Okay. An area where many hardworking blue-collar Mainers enjoy getting away for the weekend to their remote cabins for some relaxation. It's the Squatch. It's not a Squatch. It's the Squatch. The Yeti? I'm calling it right now. It's a Squatch. Back in 1987, locals started noticing things missing from their homes. One man said he was heading out to his woodpile to get some wood for the stove, as you do. Mm -hmm. When he tried to flip on his flashlight, it didn't work. So being the organized man he was, he went to find his backup flashlight, and that one didn't work either. And then the backup backup flashlight, all the same story. Wow. Wow. All the batteries were missing. But what do you do about that? You have no reason to believe that anything really wrong has happened. So you have no choice but to just go about the rest of your day. But still, that's kind of unsettling Mm -hmm. that just your batteries are missing out of nowhere. All three of them. All three of them. Three flashlights worth of batteries. Another local resident says that a Stephen King novel and the stakes from their freezer mysteriously disappeared. But again, there were no signs of anyone else coming in or out of the cabin. So it seemed unlikely that there was any real reason for things to go missing. Sketchy. Mm. Right? Most people brushed it off as just them misplacing things or someone else in their family somehow tampering with them. Mm -hmm. One man described the strange activity as not funny enough to be a joke, but not serious enough to be a crime. Just an unsettling place between the two. Some people noticed that the clasp holding windows shut, like that little lock thing at the top of your window, had been scratched, and tiny filings of plastic or wood were scattered around the windowsill. But other than that, there was really no, like, nothing amiss. So there's no, no, like, signs of breaking and entering? None. People started alerting the authorities, and soon the police were flooded with calls reporting the strange activity. The police told the public not to worry. They are on the case, and Uh it's only a matter of time before they catch the person responsible. They're not the LAPD, so what could go wrong, honestly? Well, here's the thing. Ten years later, (laughs) it had still been happening, and there's no sign of anything out of the ordinary besides the fact that people's stuff keeps going missing. Was there a mass migration from... The LAPD to Maine in this <laughs> time period by any chance? Actually, all the LAPD like workers got fired, so then they all took a group trip to Maine. They're like, we can't screw anything up in here. I mean, technically, that's where people go when they retire. So <laughs> if it was forced retiring, I guess yeah. they're just that's true. up and go to Maine. So now the police are on high alert, even upping the, their patrol of the neighborhood, but no luck. The calls keep coming. Ooh. Finally, in the mid-90s, mind you, this started in 1987, the first piece of evidence was finally collected. A family hit a game cam, you know, with the things that you set up on trails to, like, yeah. see if you got any big bucks out in the woods. Yeah, yeah. They put one inside of their smoke detector to kind of, like, bug it Ooh. and happened to snap a photo of the perpetrator, which was huge because nobody knew who was doing this, whether it was a man or a woman or even if it was multiple people. The Squatch. In fact, a common theory among the locals was that it was a group of teenagers performing some sort of gang initiation where you had to break <laughs> in and steal steaks from somebody's freezer, I guess. So That's like the Boy Scout gang initiation. Right. Take a few things and leave no trace. And now no. tie this knot. <laughs> <laughs> 
So this photo showed an older man, and the perp was finally given a name, the North Pond Hermit, named for the largest body of water in the area, North Pond. So was this just like a guess, like, ah, the old North Pond, like, did he have any connection to it, or did they just go, eh, North Pond? Well, I mean, it was the North Pond, like, area. Okay, okay. so they just... So th- this is where they are, like, yeah. it's the largest okay. body of water near there, so they're just like, ah, North Pond Hermit, I don't know. Yeah, so it's the North of, Pond. Yeah, it's kind of like a Loch Ness Monster, it's like, oh, they're in this area. Yeah, so okay. now he's like the local cryptid. Nobody has ever seen him he's before. He's the Squatch. He's only he been captured on camera. So police were certain they would catch him now because they've seen him. Obviously, that's So they posted this picture up all over town, and just like before, 10 more years pass, and not another <laughs> sign is found of him, even though the thefts still continued. How old is this wow. man? This has already been two well, decades. Well, hold on. So it seems as though no matter what the people of the area did, whether it was installing better locks or upgrading their security system, nothing seemed to deter this guy. Finally, a local game warden named Terry Hughes decided he was going to take matters into his own hands. Go, Terry. And kill right? him. Go, Terry. In 2012, he went to Homeland Security and got the equipment to wire the woods with cameras and silent alarms. Homeland My, like, Security. Remember, this we're like, literally in the middle of the woods right now. This is like real deal Homeland Security? Yeah. Like... Secures the homeland? Like the big, like the big boy Pentagon? Homeland I mean, he Security? went to Homeland Security. I don't know what to tell wow. you. That's just a local hardware store. So now he's like, <laughs> he's bugged the woods. His main focus was a summer camp slash Boy Scout camp Creepy. with a large stockpile of canned goods that the hermit had often broken into. Ooh. Remember that camp. It becomes important at okay. the end. What camp was it called? Uh, it's actually called Camp Hines. Camp Hines. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. He set up his equipment and waited for months, and he actually practiced, like, when the alarm, like, the silent alarm got tripped, getting out of bed and getting to the place that it was set in four minutes so that he knew, like, once wow. it, he was there, he'd yeah. get him. So... One day, the silent alarm was tripped, and he rushed to the camp and made an arrest after 27 years. Gee. Wait, wait, wait. So 27 years after the previous two decades, and then like the four or six months or whatever? Like... Oh, no. The 27 years in total. Oh, okay. Yeah. From the time that it started till okay. the time that he wow. was arrested. After all this time, the hermit was finally identified as Christopher Thomas Knight. Hugh said it took a while before the hermit even spoke, and when he did, he couldn't believe the things he was saying, like when he asked, what year is it now? Oh. During the arrest, the warden told him that all of his stolen possessions needed to be surrendered, to which he replied, everything I own is stolen. (laughs) I mean... He had only interacted with another human twice during this entire 27 years he spent off the grid. He once said hi to a hiker he encountered who spoke to him, and the other time was when a fisherman discovered his camp, but they agreed not to tell anyone since Knight just claimed he wanted to be left alone. Okay. And he kind of like was like, all right, buddy, like do your thing. Yeah. <laughs> they, he, that guy had no way to know that well, he yeah. was the one breaking into everyone's yeah, houses. Some, he just thought just he was this camp. guy. Just yeah. some exactly. dude camping in the woods. So... The hermit took the game warden to where he lived and camouflaged among boulders. He had a perfectly maintained camp. Everything in the camp had been meticulously camouflaged, right down to every reflective item being spray-painted natural colors to blend into the main wilderness. Even his clothespins were painted green. So there was literally no stone was left unturned by this guy. Why didn't he just find a cave? I feel like that's the the hermit thing to do is to get a cave. My guy, just get a cave. He decided to set up his camp. Yeah, so if you cave. pop All over right. to the Instagram, you can actually see a picture of what the authorities found when they searched his camp. And one of the like biggest things you can see is there's a trash can like right in the front. I think yeah. it's like the bottom right corner that spray painted camo. That so would be a cool. rule of three, 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 three on Instagram, by the mm-hmm. way. Hell yeah. 
So in April 2013, news begins to spread of the North Pond Hermit's capture, and Knight was not only talking, but confessing to all of the burglaries. Mm -hmm. People of the community kind of had a hard time accepting the fact that the North Pond Hermit was a person, like a real guy, (laughs) since he had been nothing but a myth, no more real than Bigfoot, for so many years that to imagine him as a real person sitting in the custody of the police was, like, near impossible for them. That's funny. It also didn't help that so many people didn't believe anyone could live in the forest of Maine, especially through the winters, for 30 years. Yeah, that's crazy, actually. This guy's a tank. So we'll we'll get into that more in a minute. Was he an actual tank? Was he a robot? (laughs) He is a tank, military grade. Was he an M1 Abrams? (laughs) He escaped Area 51. (laughs) (laughs) So a little background on Christopher Knight. He never felt comfortable around other people, even describing every interaction with another person as more of a collision. And I think in an interview, he said, like, it wasn't really that he disliked anything about being around other people, but he had this, like, gravitational force pulling him to, like, himself, like, wanting to be within himself and alone. And the woods is the only place that he's ever truly felt that he belonged and that he was happy. Yeah. So... While he was incredibly socially awkward and sensitive to social stimuli, he was extremely clever, athletic, tough, and had impeccable problem-solving skills, all skills that helped him pull off living in the woods and breaking into homes undetected for decades. As a young adult, the only job he had ever had was installing car alarms, which also came in kind of handy during his career as a thief. So one day, his kind of rhyme and reason behind this... He was tired of his everyday life and just decided to try something different. So without a single word to anyone, he just up and drove his car as far into the woods as he could until he was almost out of gas, left the keys on the dash, and just took off into the wilderness, knowing full well that he didn't have any supplies to survive on his own. He just left. So he had like a normal life before this and then just ditched it? Mm -hmm. Wow. So (laughs) even for an experienced survivalist, this area of Maine is an incredibly difficult place to survive, let alone an average guy who just takes off into the woods without any equipment. Mm -hmm. Winters reach ridiculously low temperatures, wildlife are few and far between, and there aren't many naturally occurring foods in the woods that have a harvesting season of like more than three days. So it's incredibly difficult to feed yourself in this kind of environment. And there's moose. And moose, and you're moose. right. Those things will raffle stomp you. <laughs> sure. Excuse me? Raffle stomp. Raffle okay. stomp. He had no idea how long this adventure, as he called it, would last. A week, a month, a year. He was just planning on going until he couldn't keep it up anymore. Was he planning on, like, going until, like, and if he died there, he just died? I guess. Or... What he waited? Huh. He, like... he didn't have a plan. He was just like, I'm just going to go off into the woods, and when I can't do it anymore, I'll come back. I miss Hot Pockets. I'm going to go back home. Like, it's, it's just... <laughs> Yeah. So, like, he was just, like, doing it for the lulls. The if lulls, there, if there then... was one thing that, like, took you away from being a hermit, what would you be? Like, one thing that you just had to come back for. <clears throat> Probably a real bed. Like, I love my bed. <laughs> you wouldn't last very long as a hermit. I would. <laughs> I you could were... never be a hermit. <laughs> this rock's uncomfy. I think I'm going to go back now. <laughs> right? What about you, Ethan? I feel like if I chose to be a hermit, I'd just die out there. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't last very long. I'd probably get maybe a day or two out there, but I'd be like, well, I guess this is where I'm dying now. Cool. Well, you'd you'd run out of your meds and just go fucking ape shit. I would start eating bears and alive. I'd just be like... <sighs> what about you? It, you know the answer already. It's my drums. I. That's true. I, I mean, I feel out. like you could turn anything can, into a drum out in the woods. You get a log, yeah. you get a bear skin. You can, you I was going to say, just there. skin a bear alive and yeah. make your own. Just like oh, the Native wow. did. Right? That'd be badass. Yeah, it and would then be. I could have a bear drum set. Right? I want to make a bow out of a stick 
animal sinew and like rocks. That sounds so <laughs> okay. Good. For those of you that can't see, Ethan just had the blankest stare that was so primal. I'm a little. Afraid. I think we just tapped into something in his like inner his being. like caveman brain. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, back to the hermit. He tried foraging, eating roadkill, oh. and skimming people's gardens until he realized that he was going to have to steal if he was going to keep up this act. He was able to keep up this massive string of burglaries for so long by mastering stealth. So get this. This is crazy. 100 stealth. Bro, he Skyrimmed that shit. Right? He had the nightingale armor. He would decide oh. when he was low on supplies and needed to go on a raid and always planned to do it at night. He somehow moved through the woods, not only silently, but also he planned it out so he only stepped on roots or rocks so he wouldn't leave any footprints, break any branches, or disturb the ground at all. So even master trackers described him as untraceable. So what, was he, like, hopping through tree branches? He would just step on, like, roots and rocks and things that, like, wouldn't leave a mark of him being there. That's insane. Isn't that crazy? Like, I can't even—and he'd do this at night. Yeah, at that's night. crazy. So I can't even walk through the woods without, like, kicking a log and, oh, like, yeah, tripping yeah. over a root or something. This guy's nuts. So, like I said, he only planned his heists for at night and usually weeknights when there was bad weather since people would be out and about—wouldn't be out and about in the rain, and it provided more noise for cover. Ooh. If he needed to cross a body of water, like I said, we're on North Pond, he would borrow, not steal, a canoe— from someone that was just around and put it back when he was done using it, making it look completely unused by sprinkling pine needles on top of it. Wow. This guy was a genius. Why didn't, did they hire him for the military? Like, <laughs> right? They better have. He would sometimes spend hours standing at the edge of the woods and surveying cabins to make sure no one would be coming. Because remember, most of these cabins are owned by like working class people who use them as weekend getaways. So he yeah. seldom really ran into a problem with yeah. this. But you can never be too careful, especially for someone like this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he would use a discovered hidden key to gain entry to a cabin. But most of the time he would have to find another way by becoming really, really good at gently prying open doors or windows with little to no damage. He claimed that he felt breaking the law was more important to him than interacting with the world. Yeah. Right? His priorities for a raid were (laughs) as follows. Food, survival essentials such as batteries, reading materials since he was an avid reader, Mm -hmm. and what else do you do when you're just out in the woods? So he'd steal, like, books and magazines and stuff. Crack open your twilight. And finally, anything that he was in need of, like a new sleeping bag or a raincoat or something like that. So what I hear is my guy is an absolute boomer for wanting to read all the time. (laughs) That's what I'm hearing. He's a boomer. Books. (laughs) Book good. Also, this is absolutely nuts. He also stockpiled supplies for November through March because... He was a bear. He's hibernating. No, he's not hibernating. Remember, he he moves through the woods without leaving a single trace of footsteps. What would put a huge damper on that plan? Snow. Oh. So he stayed at his camp. From November through March no. until he could move through the woods without leaving a single footprint in the snow. Did so not like, only did he have to, like, constantly keep getting stuff just to survive day to day. He, he made would have it to stockpile stock it up. months. Mm-hmm. Wow. Dude, yeah. that's insane. So now imagine 
that you're him. You've just spent the I last th- almost 30 years of your life in the woods, from your early 20s to near your 50s, which is a major period in your life. Like, think about it. We're all almost 20. Yeah. He took off into the woods when he was 20 years old. So that would be like if one of us took off and didn't come back until we were 50. Well, what Ethan's you, probably going to. I mean, who knows? Uh, you never but know. I don't what do you know. do in that time? Yeah. You go to school. You get a job. Have you a get family, married. You have kids. You buy a house. Things, this like... guy didn't do any of that. And now he's lived under his complete own free will and nothing else. And now he's being abruptly locked in a cage at the county jail with every single ounce of his freedom taken Aww. away. I feel bad for him. Right? How would you feel? That's kind of an so, L. In that kind of sense, the police actually shielded him a lot from the media as he was said to have sort of an endearing quality that made even his arresting officers want him to be taken care of. Aww. So he, I, it was just kind of weird. Like he kind of yeah, I mean, like, charmed the pants off of everybody. He didn't like, hurt anyone. He, he didn't do it out of like malice. Mal- malice, exactly. Yeah, he didn't do it like actively to hurt anybody. He was just trying to get by. Yeah. And even like the owners of the cabins that he broke into and stole from were incredibly divided on their thoughts about him. Half of them were furious that he broke into their homes and rightly so because they not only stole their belongings but their peace of mind. Like people were saying yeah. they didn't feel safe. They didn't want to go to these places that were their escapes. Like yeah. these were their vacations yeah. and their kids would have nightmares about someone breaking into their house. But the other half said that if they had caught him in the act, they probably would wouldn't have done anything they would have let him go yeah yeah so for the way this works is that one break-in and burglary can get you 10 years in prison and he admitted to over 1,000 over the course of 30 years god some people wanted him locked away for life so that he could never do it again Mm -hmm. but other people not only wanted him released immediately but also offered to donate land to him so he could go back to the woods And I think that kind of just, like, says a lot about the way that Maine is and, like, the community that people have with each other. Because these people were victimized by him. Like, they he stole from them and, like, took their peace of mind and all that. And they're just like, you know what? Yeah, you did all that. But you did it with good intentions to feed yourself. And that's fine. Here's my land. Like, go live the rest of your life. And they even got kind of, like constitutional about it because they're like you're guaranteed in America life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness and if that's what makes him happy then maybe he should be allowed to do it. Yeah, I mean he Just was a... breaking and entering and stealing. To... Oh no, absolutely. But but no, I get, like I feel for him. Yeah. I actually feel for this Build guy. Build a bunch of cabins for him to break into. <laughs> like, little kind of like paintball things where there's like Well, that's what I never understood like, because even if they donated land to him so that he could just go back to the woods, how would he keep living? Yeah, exactly. He, would he wouldn't have a job. He wouldn't be it. able to yeah. eat. So he ended up serving seven months in prison and was then transitioned to a halfway house where he was reassimilated back into normal life by getting a job and spending time living with others. Electrotherapy. Today we can find Christopher Knight living on his own after spending a brief time with his mother, who, by the way, was shocked to hear from him since everyone who knew him thought for sure he had died. Uh, I mean, I gotta lie, if you vanish in your 20s and 30 years go by, it's like... You assume they're dead. So do you know where he's living on his own? I have no idea. Just, okay. I'm assuming somewhere still in the area. But remember that summer camp that I was talking about? Yeah. And why I said it would be important? He runs that now, doesn't he? No. Oh. <laughs> Get fucked. Two years after the North Pond Hermit had been captured, I went to summer camp there. Oh, hey. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. And that was like the big meme of summer camp was, oh, the North Pond Hermit broke into this place. Oh, you were this close to getting hermitized. 
I don't want to know what hermitized means. <laughs> he just picked you up and he's like, I need your jacket. You're like, what? It's like, I need please, your jacket. Please just give me your jacket and your stakes. And if you have any good books, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> I only have the Fault in Our Stars. That'll Yo, do. <laughs> I'm a sucker for romance. Oprah's Scholastic reading book list. Fair in there. I could Scholastic use a book. <laughs> That's just slack. I love Scholastic Book Fair so much. Oh my God. Honestly, you're right. I never bought anything. No, but I always go, thought though. it was a great idea. Yeah. I always wanted to buy like seven books, and then I get there and I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't read. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's all on the North Pond Hermit. That's How sick. do you turn this book on? <laughs> I just kind of like that story because I remember it happening. Like I wasn't really yeah. near it so much, but it was kind of in my area, and I remember hearing yeah. about it. Wow, that's really cool. That's yeah. actually really dope. Yeah, all right. He's kind of a badass dude, despite that the fact is... that he's a, a thief and convicted criminal. It blows but... my mind that he survived on his own in the wilderness for, like, 30, 30 years. 30 years. <laughs> wow. And he was, like, still maintain Like, he was still managing to be uncaught. Like, and yeah. also... If that guy didn't set up those specific security cameras in that area... Yeah, he still, still would be... probably and be out there. And did it make it, like, his life's work to catch this man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if he did... And they even said, too, that, like, he told them that he used to, like, take regular sponge baths. Like, he would melt snow and, like, use it to take baths with. He would shave so that if he did run into somebody, they wouldn't suspect him of being a hermit. They'd think, oh, it's just a regular guy out hiking. You know those Facebook videos of, like, the two Indian guys that, like... Build bathtubs out of clay. Yes, like, those I love are amazing. those videos. <laughs> this is him. That's yeah. him. Just in Maine. Mm-hmm. With the last ounce of internet he had, he looked up how to make bath, and he was like, aha. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on to the next story. You were listening to Rule of Three, and it's my turn now. Sean's turn. Aha. Yeah, Nicole, you can, you can leave. All right. Okay, peace. No, come back. <laughs> okay. All right, so let's set the scene here. In the early hours of June 6, 2015, prison guards doing rounds at the Clinton Correctional Facility in Dannemora, New York, <coughs> noticed that two inmates were missing. Their names were dun, Richard dun, dun. Matt and David Sweat. <laughs> Sweat. Yeah. David Sweat. Does he now? <laughs> <laughs> Does oh, he do. Really? He do. All right. A little bit of background on these guys. Richard Matt was serving a 25-to-life sentence for two murders. The first Oof. one, he broke the neck of his former boss, cut his body apart, and threw it in the river. Oh, God. Yep. Are you serious? Then, that really just... running from that one, he escaped to Mexico, where he stabbed another man to death, but was caught by Mexican authorities and extradited to the U.S. And you mean to tell me he had a minimum sentence of 25 years and they just didn't automatically lock this man up for life? It was 25-to-life, so I... I I don't know. <laughs> like, that is nuts. It's like oh, like he broke his you know boss's neck, like, and then it just escalates. Like it goes from like sixty to like a thousand. It's like cut up his body, toss him in the river. It's like, uh, and know. then he escapes to Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> David Sweat. Now David Sweat was serving a life sentence for the two thousand two murder of Broome County Sheriff Kevin uh, Tarcia. So they're both in jail for life mm-hmm. and murderers and murderers, and now they're gone. Wondrous. You hate They're to see gone. that. Both of them you were really actually do. being held in the special privileges area of the prison where they were allowed access to a kitchen, phones, TVs, and other items. So they must well, have that been, was a mistake. Why? They must have been on good behavior uh-huh. and stuff like that. Um, so the prison goes on to high alert immediately. The staff are panicking and they're searching the grounds for any clues that they can find. Mm-hmm. As you do. An opening was found, like a manhole cover yeah. was found outside of the prison walls about 500 feet away, and they found it open. So they figured that that's, like, that's how they had to get out. Mm-hmm. And they were, but there were no clues as to where they could have gone. Great. <laughs> so now the chase was on. 
Uh, authorities were quite worried as the facility was located in the middle of the Adirondacks, giant mountain range, yeah. forests everywhere, and it was really close to the Canadian border. Oof, and if they get to Canada, they are out of here. Yeah. Boom. For the next few Boom days, down. a huge manhunt went underway with hundreds of officers on the lookout for the two inmates, but few leads were found. On June 9th, uh, day three of their escape, multiple sightings were reported in Willsboro, about 40 miles southeast of the Clinton Correctional Facility. Worryingly, they were getting really close to the Vermont border, which was right across Lake Champlain. While there were sightings, there were no reported contact with the inmates, so authorities were still running off of random reports from the public. So, like, people said that they saw them there, but they didn't have any, like, Proof. Yeah. There's nothing like there no was CCTV nothing, footage to yeah. put in there, like no credit cards. Like, exactly. Yeah, there were. They, and it could have been anybody. They had real. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, been there were rumors going like it could have been a hermit. <laughs> Could have been. You don't know what he's up to. In the next few days, a bunch of local schools began shutting down. Mine didn't shut down. We were a little too far away from it. But, like, schools in Saranac and stuff, like, all of them were closed while they were searching for them. Oof. And people in surrounding towns were put put on high alert to watch for the two men. Considered armed and extremely dangerous. The FBI, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, the ATF, local and state police... Uh, state forest rangers and the Canadian and Mexican border guards. And Mexican. Well, I guess if they <laughs> could have gotten the, on a flight. The first. Well, the first time he escaped that murder by okay. going to Mexico. That's so true. they're like, maybe he has some connection to get him there. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure that doesn't happen again. That's true. He actually stabbed that connection when he went to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a $75,000 reward was put out for information leading Holy for their ass. capture, too. Yeah. This was big. This was huge. That's about yeah. a huge tuition right there. Yeah. On July 11th, major roads in the area were also shut down in an attempt to limit the convict's ability to travel. Because, again, they have no idea what happened. They didn't know if they they just ran and were still on foot. They didn't know if they were staying at a house. They didn't know if they were driving away. They had absolutely no idea what was going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some bloodstains and footprints were found in Katyville, though, back near the correction facility. But nothing too useful was able to be recovered from this. Uh, this time period was really crazy, and reports were getting sent in from all over the place as people got paranoid of two murderers being on the loose. Mm-hmm. As they should. As yeah. you do. So um, I remember sitting in a diner with my parents. like We were just out for dinner, and that was the only thing that was on TV. That was the yeah. only thing people were talking about because Insane. nobody had any idea. It had been days Days since, and these extremely dangerous convicted felons are just out here running amok. They could be anywhere. They could be absolutely anywhere. They could be in the diner. Uh, They could be in here. (laughs) Well, not anymore. (laughs) Oh damn! (laughs) Manhunts were out all hours of the day, trying to find any leads they could. Rumors were spreading like crazy as well, as random crimes were being attributed to them, and a lot of people believed that they had escaped to Canada or somewhere else, or worse, or worse, (laughs) Maine. They could take off into those woods and be gone for 30 years. They could go to You'd North never Pond. find them. Yeah. They grab a rope, hop Absolutely on a moose, and they're gone. <laughs> June 12th came with no more results on the whereabouts of the inmates, but a worker at the prison, Joyce Mitchell, was arrested for helping them escape. Joyce. Bum, bum, How bum. dare. Nurse Joyce. Joyce Mitchell admitted to smuggling Matt and Sweat tools. Matt and Sweat. That's I just hate so Matt and Sweat. Matt and Sweat. Uh, she gave them hacksaws and chisels and even some power tools. Why? That helped them chisel away at a tunnel underneath the prison until they got to like just the regular sewers yeah. and tunnels down yeah. there. So they cut through uh, their cell until they got to the prison tunnels and whatnot Damn. and then they were able to escape. So she would get them these tools and then bring them back before anybody would notice that they were gone. Were they conjugal visit buddies? 
Why did she help them? We'll get there. Okay. I we'll just wanted there. to know what exactly the purpose of conjugal visits. I, I I know what the purpose of conjugal visits is. Please bear me the details. But <laughs> bone like, Why? Why are inmates allowed that? I don't know. Anyway. So the hunt. Uh, but yeah, the hunt escalated for the next couple of days as helicopters, canines, and ATVs were deployed to assist in the effort. Unfortunately, though, the weather started getting really bad, and it limited the effectiveness of the law enforcement. Bad as in how? Like snowy. Raining. Oh, wait, it's June. Just kidding. Rainy. Big time rain. rain. It's pouring. Big time Big rain. Time rain. Well, BTR. They're on like Lake Champlain right there, and so Lake Champlain is like famous for having really bad storms and stuff. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it was not good. They they really didn't get anything done during this period because like any evidence, any footprints or anything would be washed away immediately. Right. Yeah. So they couldn't do anything. On June 20th, sightings were reported in Friendship, New York. Which is just that's a so place. Uh, the yes. power of friendship. friendship. I'm pretty Aww. sure there's a friendship Maine too. Wow, look at that. Yeah. Philadelphia is just a city of brotherly love. That's the, about it, though. The problem, though, was that Friendship, New York, is near the Pennsylvania border. <gasps> Me, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I don't think they actually got to Pen- uh, to Friendship though, because there are no other sightings of them like on the way there, and. A couple more sightings in the next couple days had them right back up north. So yeah, I think that seems this, like a long way for them to go. And it was a couple like, hundred miles. Yeah. like I mapped it out. Like what, like the route that they would have to take. It was a couple hundred miles. Cartographer Sean. And so this was. <laughs> it would just be way out of the way out of them. I think it was just paranoia from people. Being and some like, people yeah. saw someone that looked kind of like them. And was exactly. Like, ah! <laughs> and so police probably went there to in, to investigate just to quell fears of people. So I don't think they actually got there, but there were reported sightings there. On June 22nd, though, a cabin in Owl's Head, just a few miles from the correctional facility, was found broken into, and DNA evidence from the escapees was found in the cabin. Was it just sweat? No. It was, <laughs> it was blood. Damn. Yeah. Uh. Whoa. Yeah, it happens, you know, when you're breaking into cabins. True. Yeah, it happens. They should really meet up with my guy yeah. from Maine, figure I out mean, how to do this in a stealth operation. Up. The North Pond Hermit never left blood in his cabin, that's all I know. <laughs> At this point, the authorities were starting to feel like they were closing in on the two men, as the DNA they were able to collect placed the men at the cabin less than 24 hours ago. Ooh, yes. So they're on the trail. On June 26, Richard Matt was spotted shooting at a man riding an ATV with a shotgun. <laughs> what did that man do to him? I'm sorry, that's just hilarious. Like, that's so boom, up North Hick. That is, that is so up That's like some GTA York. type shit right there. And I love that they didn't have anything on these guys, and then the first thing they see of them is him like shooting at Fucking going, playing ATV. Buck Hunter with the ATV rider. That's definitely what it was. Can you imagine one of them got on the ATV and was like, yo, shoot me down like it's Duck Hunter. <laughs> So they started pursuing him, and U.S. Border Patrol agent Chris Voss managed to shoot and kill Richard Matt in Elephant's Head, a few miles west of the cabin in Owl's Head. There's a lot of animals' heads up here. Yeah, a lot of them. We're not very original. We're like, uh, deer, um, whale? Whale? (laughs) Head question mark? Head question mark? (laughs) So now Richard Matt was accounted for. He was dead. But David Sweat was still out on the run. On June 28th, New York State Trooper Jay Cook was driving by when he noticed David Sweat as he was walking up the road in Constable, New York, 16 miles away from where Richard Matt was killed. He was Sweat's... really yeah. going. Yeah, he's, he's hoping it. it. That's, yeah, two days, he 16 miles. Uh, Sweat started running into the woods, so Trooper Cook fired two shots at him and took him down from 73 yards away. Holy shit. You're that's a sniper. A, that was with a pistol, by the that way. That was a 73 sniper yards. shot. That, and he hit him twice. So David Sweat survives, and he's taken into custody and sent to Albany Medical for treatment. He was found just one and a half miles from the Canadian border. <gasps> 
one and a half miles. What a tease. If he had gotten over that border, he was gone for good. Wow. He was gone. There was no way they were getting him tease, at that tease, point. Tease, tease, tease. Yeah. The whole incident lasted for 22 days, and the escapees probably traveled around 150 miles. Yo. So you can see why so many rumors and stuff got started, because 22 days long. They could have been They were anywhere, and nobody knew where they were until the last couple days. Mm -hmm. And so people were freaking out all over the place. Schools were being closed. Like, people were afraid that they were living in their houses and stuff. Yeah. Because they had no idea. They had absolutely nothing on them. So David Sweat, after he recovered, he was found guilty of two counts of first-degree escape and uh, was sentenced to seven years on top of his life sentence and handed an $80,000 fine. Joyce Mitchell was also found guilty of criminal facilitation in promoting prison contraband and was sentenced to seven years in prison and was also fined $80,000. That's a lot of moolah. That is a lot of money. That's about... Still college tuition for okay, one year. Yeah. <laughs> so now here's some interesting facts about the case. Richard Matt had quite the history of jailbreaks before this. You're going to love this. When he was 13, he escaped a group home after being sent there for stealing a houseboat. Who? <laughs> <laughs> what 13-year-old steals, like, commandeers a houseboat? I mean, the Herman It's got to be the best song. damn pirate I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh, my God. It's that Captain Jack Sparrow? Nope, it's a 13-year-old kid. Ah. <laughs> In 1986, it's he escaped from Erie County Correctional Facility by climbing the fence and hopping on a freight train. Uh-huh. He was found a All couple right. days later. But, yeah, he just jumped over the fence, hopped on a train hobo style and hooked <laughs> it out, out of there. there. Yep. When he was arrested in Mexico, he got up on the roof of the jail and attempted to escape until he was shot by guards. So the Mexican guards were fucking done with this guy. The Mexican government sent him on a plane with a drug lord to the U.S. saying that he had been such a difficult prisoner. El Chapo? Like, <laughs> they barely even announced that they were sending this guy to the U.S. They just hu- they hooked him on a plane and said, I'm fucking Take sick him. of him. Please. We're tired of this man. Somebody. While Sweat and Hall were in prison together, they practiced the escape many times to get it perfect. Aw, they rehearsed. Yeah, it was really cute. That is cute. During the manhunt, there were two times when they came extremely close to getting caught. One time, they were hiding in a cabin that people were surrounding while looking for them, but the people never went in the cabin. That's like some criminal minds shit yeah. when, like, you know the people are there and they walk right by and you're like, damn it, look <laughs> in the closet. <laughs> So after David Sweat was transferred back to prison, he continued Matt's legacy of jailbreaks. Sweat was originally sent to Five Points Prison, but he had to be transferred after staff discovered his plot to escape. At his next prison, he had to be transferred again after being caught having sex with his girlfriend during visitation. Oof. What? There was no conjugal visits? Bullshit. He was then sent to Auburn Correctional, where he may have been involved in an escape plot that involved inmates hiding in coffins under tons of sawdust. Oh, my lungs hurt just thinking about that. Ew. So back to Joyce Mitchell for a second. She met the two inmates at the prison's tailor shop. So, like, they were doing the sewing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this was apparently a very notorious area where prisoners had a long history of developing re- relationships with the staff and manipulating them. Ah, interesting. So this was, like, a known thing. And after the escape, a whole investigation was launched. And they found, like, literally the head of, like... Inmate relations. Like, even she was having affairs with prisoners from the tailor shop. So it was absolutely mind-blowing. And the whole Joyce Mitchell situation continues, too. So the original plan when the two inmates escaped is that Joyce was going to be their getaway driver. And she was going to pick them up and drive them to her house where they were going to kill her husband 
and then book it out of town. So Yo. They, so, oh, my God. But she got cold feet saying that she loved her husband and everything and didn't end up picking them up. So she helped them escape, but she didn't re- – like, there was a bigger plan yeah. going on that mm-hmm. she didn't really follow through with. But she was still found guilty of everything because, again, she's the one that helped she them She still planned it. Yeah. <laughs> So the Clinton Correctional Facility jailbreak is still fresh in the minds of anyone living in upstate New York for the weeks of terror it caused and the hum- humiliation it dealt to the New York prison system. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty That was good. a wild ride. It. Let me tell you, like, living through that, I was, like, what, 15 years old yeah. during that? Yeah. It was crazy. It's That's scary. It was absolutely not. Like, people in my town were calling for our school to be closed and everything, and I was like, yeah, close the school. Close, <laughs> close the school. The school. <laughs> close the school. <laughs> but it was absolutely nuts. Like, we had no idea where there's, these two guys were, and this is, like, probably, the, like, the first big case that I really remember happening. Yeah. So, yeah. That's dope. Yeah. All right. That is crazy. It's Ethan's time. Let's see how he does this. Oh, God. All right, Don't so fuck up. this story, I'm going to mess up a lot. All right, so this story is going to involve a little bit of back and forth, you know, just like... Kind of like your brain. <laughs> yeah, I wrote it very So it's like, in true Ethan fashion. Um, so this is the case of the Frankfurt Slasher. Uh-huh. Not the hash-pinging, slash-kinging. The flash-flinging, flasher? Trash-flinging? No, Frankfurt Slasher. So, <clears throat> on a day, the day is August 26th, on a day. <laughs> 1985... Uh, a woman's body is found at a septa yard just between some railroad ties in the northeastern part of Frankfurt. They were found by the workers. She was found around 8.30 in the morning. Uh, they couldn't find, like, they didn't identify her till un- until the next day. <laughs> You're doing great. Thanks. Uh, how she was found, she was found nude from the waist down oh. with her legs wide open. Wonderful. And her blouse pulled up to expose her breasts. Oh, Wonderful. That's not great. Uh, she was found to be sexually assaulted. And stabbed 47 times in the head, chest, right arm, with a larger slice across her abdomen to expose her organs. Oh, my Oh, Lord. my God. So, <laughs> they found her on August 26th, but it was August 27th when her ex-husband identified her, and her name is Helen Patent. So, Yikes. this is just a murder in the oh, area. Helen. Nothing really else, like, was about it. Nothing was going on prior to it. So, then we go a few months down the road, in January 1986, on the 3rd. Uh, another body is found, this time of a 68-year-old woman named Anna Carroll. She was found in her apartment, <clears throat> which was on the 1400 block on Rittner Street, which is part of, in Frankfurt. Her door was wide open. She was laying on the bedroom floor. She was also posed in, like, a provocative manner, similar provocative to how Helen was. manner. Uh, she was also nude from the waist down. This time, it was only six stab wounds to the back and oh, a wound from the best. Only six. Boom. No, wait. <laughs> a large wound from the breastbone to the groin. Like kind of basically like he was gunning a fish. Oh, she. He, That's like actually, autopsy, like Y incision, like. And oh. damn. He or the killer left a kitchen knife inside of her. Ooh, so was, that's just brutal. That left, just adds insult to injury. Come on, man. Um, she was found ten miles from the original crime scene, and then again a month, or excuse me, almost a year later on Christmas Day, nineteen eighty six. A 64-year-old woman named Susan Olzeff was found in her home on Richmond Street, stabbed also six times in the back. Now, the cops were kind of like, these were all very space far and in between. The one had like a gap of like six months, five months. This one was basically almost a year, from January 1986 to December 1986. So they were making connections here and there. They finally realized that all three of the the victims prior frequented bars in the Frankfurt area. Mm-hmm. Specifically, uh, it's called the Golden Bar, 
but people just call it Goldies, which is what it was like in the. Is it supposed to be like for older people? No, because just, the first. Okay. So the first one was fifty two. The next one was 68, and then 64. It's. I was just thinking, you know, like, yeah, the golden, golden oldies, golden days, you know? Yeah. I don't really know. Didn't explain that. But, well, but this, this story jumps around. So, last time we ended was Christmas Day in 1986, and they, all three women... What are you looking at? <laughs> what, am I too loud? No. Am I bad at this? <laughs> no. Nana. Oh. oh I hate you. <laughs> Shout out to Nana. Um, <laughs> so... All three of the women, all three of the victims so far, were pinpointed to be at Goldie's before their death. Mm -hmm. Then, on January 8th, 1987, so a month later, a 28-year-old woman named Jean Durkin is found. Durkin? Wait, 28? Mm Mm-hmm. She that doesn't found, fit the just, victimology just at all. Not at she all. She was found underneath a storage truck just off of Franklin Avenue. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. She was stabbed in the back, chest, and buttocks uh, 74 times. Why'd you have to say 74? buttocks? 74? That's what it had in the article. And so I, I didn't feel like saying ass because that's just rude. Stabbed in the booty. <laughs> um, 74. In the rump. Times. 74 times. All, all in the back chest and the booty. The back seat. Um, and this murder happened to be just a block away from the first victim's location. Oh, okay. Now, just some... All right, so also, just when they found her, she was in a pool of her own blood, nude from the waist down. Her legs were spread with signs of sexual assault. See, that, uh-huh. that kind of reminds me of something. I uh, I think it was a TED Talk, actually, that like was talking about serial killers and how they tend to operate. And they usually like don't go outside of like a very small range. So it's interesting yeah. that she was found, like what, like a block away from the original one? But here's the thing. So the first one was found a block away from the fourth victim, who right. was Jeanne. In between that, though, uh, and the second victim was found 10 miles from the first crime scene. Mm. And then, if I remember correctly, the third victim was found, like, I think seven miles from that one. Oh, okay. So, it was, like, it's all It's, like, within, a ten-mile area. Yeah. Which, again, why the, the media ended up calling this person the Frankfurt Slasher was because it was all around in the same area of Frankfurt. In the same area. Okay. So, <clears throat> some background information on Jeanne, which becomes more relevant, slightly relevant. This story is weird. But, so, she... Uh, she was in and out of psychiatric institutions for a while. Like she had, there wasn't anything explicitly that said what she had, but she had like some mental uh, problems going yeah, on. And she was she yeah. was an outpatient under treatment, which is a big part of it. She also frequented Goldies as well. And so, just a f- one more quick fun fact about Jeanne Durkin. Uh, when there were people interviewing, like witness, not witnesses, but like people interviewing about like who knew her, uh, they were surprised, or they didn't think she could be overwhelmed easily because allegedly a story that I read. Apparently, six cops one time tried to arrest her, but she struggled so much that they gave up. Wow. That is who I aspire to be. <laughs> but then She's so, my new hero. But then she got stabbed yeah. 74 times in the butt, yeah. so... Which, again, this all kind of brings it around to the overall investigation of it, because until the third victim, cops were like, oh, there are, like, not really any connections here until they realized the bars. Mm-hmm. She also, the fourth victim, Jan, also frequented Goldie, so this is when they started thinking, like, oh, maybe he meets them at bars. Yeah, that's got to be the pattern. And does that stuff. Now, on top of this, with kind of the cops being all over the place, I didn't go too much into detail, but during this time period, in, 18, in 1987, there were two other serial killers in Philadelphia. Oh. Good God. One was Gary Heidnick? Heidnick? Sure, Heidnick. Yeah. He was found to uh, have abducted six women, and then when he was finally found in 1987, he had body parts in the kitchen. Ooh. He oh. had a full What were they doing in the kitchen, turned- I wonder? Basement turned torture chamber. Oh, with three half naked women imprisoned, like alive. 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh my right, god. So, so he abducted. We'll do some math. He abducted six women overall. Three of them are alive. And three of them are dead. Imprisoned. Two of them are dead. One of them escaped. Okay. So that's the, that's how they found him. She oh, escaped. Oh, okay. Then she like okay, yeah. But the other interesting oh part about God. this, and by interesting, I mean fucked up, was that uh, Gary admitted that like so two of them died. He admitted to eating parts of one of them and feeding other parts to the rest of the prisoners. No. I think when I read it, it was mixed with like dog food or something. Oh, that's even worse. I didn't go too much into detail because it's just the only thing worse than eating straight up human (laughs) is mixing it with dog food. Yep. Can you imagine being the officer that like stumbles upon that? Yeah. Police officers and like investigators see some fucked up stuff. The next serial killer going on during this time was a man named Harrison Marty Graham. Now, Marty Graham. Yep. Marty Graham. He was found. Actually, so all right, in his apartment. There were found seven bodies of women who were, like, under just piles of shit in this building. Great. Oh. They found it because uh, he was ordered to vacate the building because of a bad smell in his unit. You don't say. No wonder. <laughs> apparently, I wonder what that could be. Apparently, he, woman, he lured women with drugs and basically just strangled them in his home and just, for some reason, just kept them there, you know, just just, just for kicks. Just chilling. Ew. The, fun, the creepiest part about this story, other than the homicide, is that so... Harrison fled home. He fled home first, like, he went for a week. A week later, he came back and he turned himself in. And during that period, he had time to, like, take stuff and, like, for what he was going to do, just, like, his personal questions. He took a Cookie Monster puppet (laughs) as one of his items. I'm I'm not, again, I'm not entirely sure because I didn't research this case specifically. It was just, like, an overthink of, like, what was going on in 1987 in Philadelphia, which is cracked out. I want to say he might have been... He might have had, like, a mental challenge because it was something in the article that I read was, like, Philadelphia about something about punishing murders with mental disabilities. But I don't know. But Yikes. So that just, I thought was interesting. It's like, oh, well, I'm going really to go on trial for murder. I'm going to take a puppet. So then. Wow. Wonderful. What so, a twist and turn <laughs> and then. This is weird. Wow. Philadelphia. So, back to the fourth victim, Janet Durkin. Uh, sh- there was a suspect in this case because apparently Durkin was seen arguing with a woman named Michelle Martin in the Bar Goldies like a few days before she was killed. <clears throat> now, this victim didn't have a date, but January 1988, so like almost a year later, uh, Margaret Vaughn, who is 66 years old, was found three blocks away from Durkin's body, stabbed 29 times, and also placed in a provocative manner. They didn't explicitly say where this barmaid was from, but there was a witness account of a barmaid saying she saw Vaughn with a white guy with a round face, a limp, and glasses. They were drinking together, and then they left together. What an interesting profile. A yes. limp. Round face, a picture, limp, and glasses. The picture on the Instagram page for my case is, oh, that, like the, is the police oh, sketch. Is because they cool. got the things. That's an interesting question, Sean. Just wait. Oh, so, I, oh, okay. Nothing else happened. So cops sketched suspect, put it up everywhere. No one identified jack shit. They didn't say anything. Then January 19th, 1989. So we're a year later now. Yes. Another year. Wow. Teresa Chiortino, if I pronounce that right. Probably not, but a moving on. <laughs> woman was found three blocks away from the last victim. Uh, she had the same issues as Durkin. She was also in and out of psychiatric hospitals and stuff like that, and she was an outpatient on treatment. Okay. So that was, like, the one weird... In this case, there's a lot of weird lines that connect for some odd reason, but, like, not... Yeah. They don't them, really mean anything, but they have weird it's just, connections. It's just interesting. Yeah. Um, so, 
she lived just like right off of Frankfurt Avenue. She was found only wearing this. This one fucked me up the most. She was found only wearing a pair of white socks. She was lying face up. She was left in a pool of blood, stabbed 25 times in the face, arms and chest. And near her was a three foot piece of wood that was used to sexually assault her. Three, oh, three feet? Foot. Good three foot. God. Three feet. As in, like, 36 inches? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, Christ. Jesus. Oh, I'm not having a good time. No. An interesting part about this case, so one thing that a lot of people mm. said about Teresa was that she was apparently, it was something about, like, she was a stripper or she had a lot of, entertained a lot of male companions. Uh-huh. So. She a bit of a hoe. A little bit. Uh-huh. And a lot of these other people throughout what I was reading like witnesses or people were saying like oh like this could be prostitution related because it was basically just going to bars picking up women assumed of course from what they found because guess what Teresa also did regular at Goldie's yeah so all these women have the same place in common so all Shut of them, down Goldie's <laughs> so all of them went to this bar but only like two of them were had like the psychiatric problems yes okay those so, just happen to be related it's kind of weird part where it's like there are weird dots that kind it's of related but not important it's really yeah it's, it's, right. yeah a little bit <clears throat> um so then on april 29th 1990 at two in the morning a 46 year old woman named carol dowd was found she was found in an alley behind a place called newman seafood which was at Oof. 4511 frankfurt avenue uh, her head and face were battered, and she had 36 stabs in the face, chest, neck, and back, along with her stomach cut open, which uh. caused intestine to spill out, uh. along with her left nipple removed. Nipple belt? So, for some Question odd reason, this, this one was wacky. So, <clears throat> one of the witnesses, oh, a witness, said she saw her walking with an older white man a few hours before. Did he have a round face? I don't know. <laughs> limp. That's the thing. And glasses. It just said an older white man, so it was like, oh, weird. Uh, hmm. And here it comes again. Carol had also recently been diagnosed with schizophrenia and was in and out of institutions. Okay, so now that's three. It's starting to make a more pattern. We have seven victims. Psychiatric. Three of them had mental issues, and the other ones were just kind of there. But they all all were at the bar. Yes. Even Carol was at the bar also. Yes, it okay. said she was she was a regular. I don't know if it was exactly a Goldie's, but the common feature between all these women they're are they're bar goers, bar goers in the Frankfurt area. Gotcha. Can you imagine being the <laughs> owner of Goldie's at this point and being like, "Oh, well, there goes another one." Every time you see a woman walk out the door with a man, you're like, I wonder if she's going to wake up in the morning. And staff are like, uh, sir, do you think we should like start increasing like, security or doing something? Nah, nah. I'll let, just let it happen. Let, let them drink. Round on me. <laughs> the interesting part of it, one of the funniest things when I was reading was a kind of a blog style type thing of just like what was happening about certain victims. And a part of it was like, yep, you guessed it. Someone else, a regular at Goldie's, was killed. I can't believe you guys are still fucking letting women walk home alone. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that was just funny. So, in this case, however, they finally get some dirt up. They get they get up some things. So, there's a suspect. His name was Leonard Christopher, who was a worker at the fish place where Carol's body was found. The Newman's Seafood, yep. whatever? Newman's Seafood. Gotcha. So, he also said he happened to know Margaret Vaughn, which was an earlier victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he was asked about the night before, he said he was with his girlfriend that night. But guess what? She said, nope, I was home alone. Oh, so now he's lying. So now he's a little bit Well, liar. somebody's lying anyway. Liar, liar, uh-huh. pants on fire. Plants for uh-huh. hire. <clears throat> two witnesses. Climb the spire. Two different witnesses said, uh, one of them, they placed him with Carol before she died. 
One of them said they saw him cutting out, coming out of the alley where the fish store was, sweating with a large knife. A David sweat? <laughs> no. With a large knife, and uh, yeah. And then, so, then the cops were like, oh, this is kind of probable, whatever. They investigated his home. They found bloody clothes. Oh. Oh. Not so was weird. it his blood? This explanation was a little bit weird to me, and it kind of, with what I was reading, it, it seemed not just right for many reasons, but, so Leonard basically explained to him that his boss told him to clean up the blood in the alley. Like, at the, after okay, the crime so, scene. Yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. He should not have touched yeah. that under any circumstances. That sounds like some uh, bull. That is shit. completely police authority, yeah. and he should not have been anywhere near it. This so, is not just, the LAPD. We don't do that. Right. We don't run through pools of blood. <laughs> Swim in them. <laughs> so, uh, so back to, to a the, cannonball. The one witness who was like, yeah, I saw him out of the alley with a knife. She said she saw him leave the alley with his shirt over his like, shoulder, like in his arm, and then he had a knife. And then another witness said she saw him walk in an alley, and then around one in the morning, she heard a woman scream. Oof. So I was like, this is a little bit, this is kind of a little bit weird. But the only thing is, he's a black dude. Leonard Christopher is a black man. When multiple witnesses before were seen with the an older old white, white dude. The old white guy. Yeah. Which again, no one, no one like confirmed. And majority of people that like. for a white guy. A lot of people All that Leonard say. knew. Leonard was backed up by people. They were like, he's not a bad dude. Like, he's good. Like, he does work ethic, whatever, all that shit. So then, uh, regardless of whatever happened, on May 5th, he was arrested and charged with robbery. That robbery. <laughs> robbery, abuse of corpse, murder, and possession of an instrument crime. He was jailed I didn't even know no... abuse of corpse was, like, a thing that you I didn't either, be charged but that's what it said. for. Uh, and he was jailed on without parole on September 6, 1990. So, obviously, everyone's like, oh, shit. Like, we have a suspect. That's cool. He's September in custody. September 8th, 1990. Eighth victim shows up. No. Well, I guess it's not him. <laughs> now, not this, again, great. was a little confusing because two articles had the first same first name, different last name. So this victim, Michelle Martin and or Denner, if you remember, she was the one who got in the fight with Gian earlier about the blanket, who was oh, a suspect. Really? Oh, really? Now she's a victim. What? So, Yikes. Uh, Talk shit, get hit. Yeah. So two days after... Uh, Leonard was in prison. They were called to her house on that Sunday. She was found stabbed 23 times in the chest and stomach, and she was three blocks away from Carol. Bruh. And she was on the same street as Teresa, one of the previous victims. Oh. And she was also mentally ill so much that the locals called her Crazy Michelle. Crazy <laughs> Michelle. And guess what, gang? Oh, that's just Crazy Michelle. She was a big drinker and also frequented many bars. No Goldie. kidding. No. Uh -huh. And guess what? One more time, what? a day and a half before, she was seen with an old white dude. With what? A limp? <laughs> with a limp? They just said old white dude. Don't rightly know. So, for this part, that was the last victim. Then, no other leads, no nothing. Leonard's trial begins around like that same time. So, he was losing the trial because even though there wasn't a whole lot of evidence, like, Proving he did it exactly. There was still enough of it. Circumstantial, it yeah. yeah. Yeah, very circumstantial. Uh, fun things, though. His boss, his boss is named something Fang. P-H-A-N-G Fang. Uh, Fang. She said that Leo, Leo Le Leonard, uh, told her that a white woman about 45 was murdered in the alley. Like the day that Carol Dad was murdered. Mm -hmm. Apparently the police... Didn't say anything about a tiny one. So it was weird that, like, he just that happened. That he knew. To... Yeah. yeah. It also was weirdly huh. calm that he was just kind of like, oh, yeah, there's a person murdered in the back. What do you want me to do about it? He also said something. <laughs> what do you want me to do about it? There's somebody out there. He also said something to his boss, something like, maybe I killed her. 
But like maybe genuinely, maybe not. genuinely <laughs> unsure about it. Like he kind of like how like that blank stare where you're like, maybe I did do that. Like he was like maybe I did kill her. But like I obviously backed uh, off of that's it. That's weird. So his boss testified against him. Obviously, also he said that. Also, she said that Leo told her about five days after the murder of Carol Down, he was unable to sleep because he witnessed a murder. He was also acting very erotic. Neurotic, excuse me. Oh, no. <laughs> acting very erratic. Oh, no. And a little crazy. And he said that the white man who he saw kill Carol was trying to kill him, and he was scared that he could get into his apartment and would hide in his closet. So with that, closing statements on Leonard's case were on December 11th, and on December 12th, Leo was convicted of first-degree murder of Carol Dowd. To this well, day, from what goes. I found, he's still in jail for that murder. There's nothing else on the Frankfurt slasher. It just None of the other that? victims... Even though there was a murder after he was in, was in custody. He, see, he didn't go to jail for the other murders. They pinned him for Carol Dowd. Or they pinned him, quote-unquote, for Carol Dowd's murder. Mm. But for the other slasher victims, there's nothing. nothing. Wow. Absolutely but they nothing. did stop after... The eighth one. Yes, there was another. I wonder if that one was after, just a copycat. After Michelle. Yeah. That's the thing. We're and like, you did say there were other active serial killers in the area, so you know there were people with the yeah. balls to go out and slash Could have people. Been something, yeah. Which was the weirdest part because they were both caught like halfway through this whole little tangent of the Frankfurt slasher, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just so wild because the jumps between the kills. But it's also like all the ways they were killed were very similar, even though they weren't always the exact same. Like. Deep wounds, a lot of stab wounds, a lot of provocative bullshit in there, like kind of <laughs> erotic bullshit. <laughs> so that's the story of the Frankfurt Slasher, which is kind of like America's own little Jack the Rip. Excuse me, not America's Philadelphia's own Jack the Ripper type thing. So Very what nice. I'm hearing is, if you're a time traveler, the one place to avoid is Philly in the 1980s, apparently. Because yeah. my God, you don't go there. A woman, yes. Because <laughs> apparently that's what serial killers just were all about. Damn. Three different serial killers at the same time, though. I feel like that could that have been an crazy. episode on its own. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we've got for you this week. we got to get out of here. We are all time, out of time. Our time is up. Uh, make sure you check us out on Instagram, rule three 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 three. Uh Find us <coughs> anywhere you listen to podcasts, at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else on the web, on your phone. Uh, next, in your bedroom. In your bedroom. Fi- no, don't find us there. <laughs> in a closet. <laughs> behind, Under your bed. Behind you woods. right now. Turn around. <laughs> I bet you won't. Turn around, Harold. <laughs> we think we're funny. Uh, the next two weeks, we have a little two-part special coming up, so yes. stay tuned for that. Yeah. yeah Get excited. Get hype. I don't know about this one anymore, so who? Yeah. All right. That's all we've got for you this week. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.